everyone. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And, and we're, we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister. Everybody. Hey guys. Hi. Hey Bill. Hi. I found out new information about that Rudy Farius, that little true crime thing. So I wanted to be clear. I have a timeline. On March 6, 2015, Rudy took his dogs for a walk. Okay. On March 7th, the second so March 6th, one dog returned home. On March 7th, the second dog returned home. Oh, and- just without a person, they just came yeah. home. Okay. And mom called the police, reported him missing. On March 8th, Rudy came home. Okay. On March 22nd, mom started a GoFundMe to help find Rudy. Ooh. It earned 2200 nope, $2,025. Nobody cared about Rudy. Aww. <laughs> That's because they all knew he was home. <laughs> the neighbors saw the GoFundMe and they were like, that Rudy? Yeah. The one outside right there. now? So then... September of 2018, relatives called the police and to say that Rudy was at his mom's house. They just saw him. So police went and searched and didn't find any evidence to suggest that Rudy was there. But okay. turns out, in the eight years that he was missing, police talked to him many times. They just gave... He gave fake names. Oh. <laughs> so, so goofy. It does sound... Now that you said the GoFundMe thing, that sounds more like... Maybe they just thought they could make some money yeah. without him ever having to actually disappear too much. On June 29th, 2023, Rudy was found unresponsive outside of a church eight miles from his mom's house. July 5th, Rudy requested to meet with community activist Quanell X while he was meeting with the police. So he was kind of there to be supportive. Okay. Um, And then... But the police and Quanell X had two different statements for the media. The police were like, he was never missing. Everything's fine. It's over. Mm -hmm. Quanell was like, he was held captive by his mom. This, he said, Rudy said that he was being held captive by his mom Mm -hmm. and being held, was being abused by his mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Rudy's dad died from suicide in 2014. Okay. Um, following, that was three years after Rudy's older brother died in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. Also, Rudy's dad was a police officer and I found something that I didn't double check it, but there was, IA was getting involved with Rudy and a couple, Rudy's dad and a couple other officers about a scheme they were doing potentially doing that earned Rudy's dad like a hundred thousand dollars extra of Mm -hmm. overtime. Anyway. So one of the abusive things that I saw allegedly was that mom made Rudy sleep in the same bed as her and said, you're going to be my husband now. That's weird. Yeah. Bailey's face is grossed out. It makes me think that season of American horror story. What was it? I don't know. I didn't watch that show. Was that the clown one? Maybe. I'm eating popcorn from the micro wave. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. I worked it in. Yeah. Anyway, so um, that was like the last update 
police were kind of like, he didn't tell us that. And we can't press charges unless the victim wants to do something about it. And mom has fled from her home. So oh, this is fun. I'm excited to follow. This. That is the update. Cool. Good. This dive is fun. Mm-hmm. You guys ready for part two? Yes, we're gonna learn about Chad, Chad Daybell. Dar Daybell. You just made noise. Oh, in my Chad... head, I saw... it was the I ha- I had a W in his name for some She's reason. She's Chadwick because we were talking about that previously. Mm, that was mm. like a whole week ago though i know well memories. what was the thing you told me to remember the tm tornado something about a tornado Torn- uh, oh, <laughs> toxic they're... tornado or something no, no, no. Ooh, toxic that's tornado fun. is that's fun. fun they're they're two viewpoints come together to form uh, a tornado of insanity that's what it was that's what it was but i like toxic tornado toxic can we tornado. write that down that could be a t-shirt yeah that's gonna for sure sh- we're gonna say that in part no one's for no sure. one's writing that down all right, so that's foreshadowing that there is to come a toxic tornado. Yes. So I mentioned Chad Daybell a couple times when I was telling you guys about Lori yeah, because he she wrote a to, book. Yes, a couple books. He wrote about oh. near death experiences and he had a podcast. Lori had read all of his books. She listened to his podcast. She really enjoyed him. Um, and when she met a woman named Melanie Gibb, she found out that Melanie knew Chad and she kind of viewed Melanie as her avenue to him because she really wanted to meet him so when we left off last week um it was 2018 and Lori and melanie were heading to saint george utah to attend a conference um where chad was going to be the guest speaker so this week i'm going to tell you guys about chad back it all the way up to the beginning just like we did with Lori, and talk you through his life so this is his Side origin note, story yes i'm just imagining like Lori, like preparing to like completely like fangirl over chad like it's i imagine that that's how she's gonna harry styles as well. or something yeah i wouldn't be surprised if she had like a t-shirt with his face on it <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if people did once we i see that vibe for her yeah. all right chad guy daybell was born on august 11th 1968 in springville utah his family's Mormon history goes all the way back to the 1840s. They actually joined um, the Mormon church in England, which I didn't know that it made its way over there. But in the 1840s, they joined it in England, and then their family eventually came over here. Chad had his first encounter, I'm using that term loosely, with death when he was in third grade. He had a classmate, Randy Perkins, who died in a cave collapse. Um, and so, you know, when a kid dies, the community is devastated. The schools will talk to the kids about it. They have counseling and stuff. And Chad didn't understand. The concept of death was kind of confusing to him, as it is for young kids. And, and he adults. Got, yeah, yeah. I'm so confused. Um, he got a little bit obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played T-ball. When he was 10 years old, he won the Arrow of Light Award for Cub Scouts. What? He loved reading Hardy Boys. When he was in first... <laughs> Wait, he what, is, what is the Arrow of Light award? It, I'm Googling. Move on. Okay. <laughs> when he was in fourth grade, he actually wrote a book, a little book, called The Murder of Dr. J and His Assistant. He liked to write. Um, he liked to make up stories, to tell stories, to read stories. His book that he wrote had an owl on the cover. Um, and eventually, he would actually become obsessed with owls. We'll see this happen over time. Um adult chad would believe that owls had powers from beyond the veil if you remember lori felt that she could see beyond the veil do you, do you want to know what the arrow of light is 
Yes. Desperately. So it's both a rank and an award. It's the highest achievement in Cub Scouting, and only Cub Scout award that can still be worn once a scout enters. Scouts BSA? So, like, adult scouts, I guess? That, okay. I don't like the idea of I adult scouts. I don't think it's, well, because Cub Scouts well, there's, is little, so I feel like... But there's Eagle what Scouts. Eagles? Where into, Those Eagles are teenagers. Like the highest level. What about, what's just regular boys? It's just the scouts. order of things. Like how Girl Scouts has, like, brownies and then juniors like that. You say that like I fucking know. I thought people just Lacey, knew Lacey, Scouts we didn't, we, didn't, we weren't in Girl Scouts wrong. when we were kids. I so, you start off as a cub, and then do you just become a regular boy? <laughs> <laughs> just like or every is, couple years, stop. you move up to the next No, I understand, group. but is no, Boy Scouts... Boy Scouts. Okay, well, is it Girl Scouts, or is the whole thing Girl Scouts and Brownies is just a division of Girl Scouts? Brownies is a division of Girl Scouts. Okay, so Cubs go to Eagles as Brownies become... Ladies. So, sure. Eagle Scouts Eagles are, are like between 11 to 17. Yeah. Oh, she's Googling over here. Yeah. yeah. I'm you over could here. also be doing that. Well, but, Lacey's know, just me on the bullshitting over there. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we learned all that. It was very important for our background. I mean, I learned something new, so fuck yeah, you. Well, you should always start to learn something new. So I do. Anyway, when Chad was 13, one day he was walking home from school and he saw a honeybee. He watched it for a couple minutes, and then he smashed it with his shoe. And over the course of 30 minutes, he killed 120 bees. He counted them as he smashed them. That's why they're going extinct. It was him. Chad. But then he heard a loud voice ordering him to stop. And nobody else was around. He knew that an angel... Nope, not God. It didn't reach all the way up to God. Just an angel. (laughs) An angel was like, you're gonna fuck up the whole ecosystem, bro. (laughs) He decided that an angel was angry with him for this display of cruelty. Mm -hmm. Um... And so he stopped. In sixth grade, he read the Book of Mormon, and he had a spiritual awakening. It seems kind of young to have a spiritual awakening, but okay. He also, at this age, in sixth grade, he got his patriarchal blessing. I googled what to... Oh, here it is. I was going to say I googled it, and then I didn't write it down, but I did. This is a quote from online. This is your patriarchal blessing. In the Latter-day Saint movement, a patriarch... Stupid word. A patriarchal blessing, also called an evangelist blessing, is an ordinance. Aren't you an English teacher? I'm starting over. In the Latter day Saint movement, a patriarchal blessing, also called an evangelist blessing, is an ordinance administered by the laying on of hands with accompanying words of promise, counsel, and lifelong guidance intended solely for the recipient. The words are believed to be inspired by the Holy Ghost and are spoken by the patriarch performing the ordinance. So just kind of like a general blessing, um, you know, go forth and do good things and God will guide you. He was told during his blessing that he would marry a wonderful woman, raise a strong family, and receive spiritual gifts so he could bless the lives of others. That's good. Yeah. So a good future was laid out for him. He was well known in Springville growing up. It wasn't a huge town. He played basketball. He played football. He was on honor roll. He was the citizen of the month once, which was a thing. Um, in January 1983, there was an article published in the Spring- Springville Herald about him. And so people around town knew him. He was he was well liked. The summer before his senior year, he worked as a grave digger with Springville's Parks Department. Now Can I'm going to tell you guys... Wait? About Chad's first. Did you? What did you just say? Did he know Leslie? <laughs> did he know Ron? 
I'm going to tell you guys. She's, she, she doesn't know Parks and Rec, I guess. I don't know Well, well what state are we in? Those are the two main people in Parks and Rec. Well, I don't, what does that have to do with grave digging? Because it's Parks, Parks and Rec. Rec. Oh. My God. Okay. Oh, feel. my God. Listen, I'm trying to tell you guys about Right Chad. over her head. Yeah, give a we fuck trying about Chad. to make of it. I'm very focused. All right, move on. I'm going to tell you about Chad's first near-death experience. Um, this was on a church trip to Flaming Gorge Wait, you Reservoir. said first? How many did he have? You're going to find out. Oh, dear God. What about um, the bees? Was that near death? No, because he, he was the aggressive one in that scenario. Oh, is this near death one his his life? I'll tell you. Can I tell you? She is just so <laughs> attitude I just want to tell you. Keep cutting her off, Bailey. She hates it. This happened on <laughs> the Flaming Gorge Reservoir. They were jumping off the cliffs into the water, just having a good time. He was dared to jump off a 60-foot cliff into the water. Well, he has to then. Yeah. Was he triple dog dared? He could have been. Because he he did it. So Probably then. He said later that hitting the water felt like hitting concrete. There was well, he probably flash. hit it wrong. There was a flash of white light, a shock oh, throughout his body, and he heard a pop at the base of his skull and actually thought that he broke his neck. But what was actually happening was his spirit was leaving his body. Mm-hmm. I was going to say an angel or something. Yes. That makes more sense. His physical body went deeper into the water Mm -hmm. than his spirit did. And I'm going to give you a quote from Chad. This caused my spirit to pop out through my head. I hate when that happens. But then it felt like my spirit's knees got stuck in my skull and I didn't make it all the way out. You never hear about spirit knees. That should be more talked about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Especially getting I, stuck. I, I, maybe, arthritis in your I think needs. maybe we didn't know the spirits worked this way until Chad told us. He felt that this experience ripped open his personal veil, which then never closed. And he went to the other side of the veil when this happened. He described as an endless white plane. He heard a deep melody and felt the soothing warmth and his pain disappeared. He was also then filled with spiritual knowledge. His body floated back up. To the top of the water, his spirit slid back in where it belonged, and a friend pulled him back to shore. Now, the people who were watching this did say that it was very scary, and they thought that he got hurt pretty badly. Um, but this, for him, was a spiritual moment. I mean, in nineteen, I feel like he was knocked unconscious and was dreaming. That's one interpretation. Okay. In 1986, <laughs> he graduated high school and got a scholarship to Brigham Young University, which is in Provost, Utah. Provost, Utah. Next summer, he worked again as a grape digger. The following year, he went to Jersey to serve as a missionary until summer of 1989. He worked in Morristown, Newark, and Union City. So you said tough Jersey, areas. yeah. Why did we tough need a missionary in Jersey? Have you been there? I mean, but like Jersey's kind of like it's. If anyone needs God, it's Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the thought. Jersey just, as a whole, needs an exorcism, I think. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> as he... they, they, it, It's because the Jersey Devil was busy running around. <laughs> they needed to bring God in there. Yeah. As he walked around the neighborhoods, he could see disembodied spirits. And because his veil had been torn, he could differentiate between the good spirits and the bad spirits. Is he sure they well, weren't just important. drunk people? Maybe. Okay. Um, I, I I believe him 100%. Everything he's saying. Keep going. <laughs> um, ben Hyde was a friend who went on this mission trip with him. He said that Chad was very humble, very unassuming, and that people were drawn to him. 
They like to listen to him talk. He was very charismatic. Um, another friend who was on the mission, Hector Hernandez, said that Chad was loved and respected, and everybody there looked up to him. He was very good at the mission work. Um, I like you his know, name. Hector Hernandez? Yes. Yeah. A lot of people aren't super open to um, people just coming to your door to talk to you about Jesus. Yeah. But what? he actually would get audience with a lot of people. People would listen to him because he was such a good speaker and was so... You know, humble and unassuming, according to my I, I personally am not a fan of that. Well. I can't imagine most of Jersey a being a fan of that. Yeah. One night, when he was out walking house to house, he sensed the spirit of his grandfather, Keith Daybell, walking beside him. Now, Keith had died years before Chad was born, so Chad never met him. Mm. But at this point, Keith became Chad's spirit guide. That was good. How do you know it was his grandfather? You, you could tell. Yeah. Did they do an ancestry DNA? The veil. His veil was torn. Yeah. And he was slid. You said a lot of things during that part that <sighs> sounded sexual. Yeah. I don't know. Something was popped. <laughs> you heard a pop at the base of his skull. His, what happened to his veil? His veil was torn. Okay. It was not like his hymen. Okay. But <laughs> funny you said that. So then something... Something slid. His spirit... His body his... went too deep and his spirit was sliding out, but then the knees got hung up in his skull. <laughs> That's like my favorite part. <laughs> it's like when you're giving birth and the baby gets stuck in the canal. <laughs> you need the jaws of life to pull, ring, yank him out. Um, there was something else you said. I believe you. Let me go back out and see if I can find it. It was after his veil was torn, but before the sliding. I don't believe you. Um, he felt a shock throughout his body. That's kind of... That could work. Not with flash of white light. Anyway. <laughs> summer of 1989, he headed back to Utah to continue attending BYU. He started writing for the school's newspaper and eventually became the editor of the newspaper. Looking through his brother's 1988 high school yearbook, just kind of flipping through to see who was graduating that year, he saw a picture of Tammy Douglas. Who Why? was graduating. Why did he see her? No, why was he flipping through the yearbook? It's like Match.com, but yearbook. Oh, paper copy. It was before Tinder? It's like Tinder. I think he was just flipping through. But he he saw Tammy Douglas. He he doesn't want to date an underage girl. He wants to date one that's like 18 and fresh out of high school. He said, quote, I felt the most electrifying shock of my life. Now, she also worked as the cemetery secretary. Remember, he works... As a grave digger at the cemetery. Oh my god! Um, she, it's a Parks and Rec romance. She, after graduating, she attended BYU as an advertising major. At the next um, LDS Springville Singles Ward event, he asked her out. Oh! And they started going steady. And I put the little emoji with the heart eyes right there. Did he pin wow. her? Within a month. Did he pin her? Listen, this is big. Okay. Oh, Within boy. a month. They were sitting next to each other at the singles ward meeting, Word. which was a sign to other singles that they were together. Why were they still going to the singles meeting if they were together? That's a they good point. They needed to show everybody that they were together. <laughs> they they like, just show like, off everybody. Couldn't yeah. they just walk on campus together? They said, we are a success story. It worked oh, okay. for us. It can work for you. Great. Um, he proposed on Thanksgiving and she said yes. They got married in March of 1990 and everybody was so happy. I wrote that. Everybody's so happy. Anybody go to the wedding? Oh, yeah. Many more people than attended. 
any of Lori's four weddings so far. Good. Um, he graduated in April 1982 with a degree in communications. A month later, their first baby, Garth, was born, and Tammy became a stay-at-home mom. I don't know how I feel about that name. Garth Brooks? I mean, this wasn't Garth Brooks, but Did, that's the only Garth. Tom Segura has a ongoing thing with Garth Brooks. Yeah. Have you heard about that? Uh-uh. Someone on, like, Reddit pointed out that when, like, Garth Brooks' tour schedule aligned with a bunch of missing persons. Like, so if he was in Houston, a missing person would also have been gone missing in Houston at the same time. And so someone was like, is Garth Brooks responsible? (laughs) And so then Tom Zagora started, like, joking about it. Yeah. Saying and he like he was like where are the bodies Garth, that kind of thing. Well, that's fun. And um, so Garth Brooks has blocked him off oh, no. social media. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say they had a playful back and forth, and Garth was like, you know what, absolutely not. I guess he doesn't enjoy being accused of you know, <laughs> <Thanks fine. laughs> um, a touring serial killer. It's so then cover up though. Someone close to Garth Brooks told Tom that whenever someone mentions Tom's name to Garth, he pulls up and shows the video of Tom like breaking his whole arm in half <laughs> and says oh, karma. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in Garth. And uh, Tom thinks that's hilarious. Yeah. Of course he does. Um, okay, so summer, Sorry. <laughs> summer of 1982, the family moved 85 miles away to Ogden to work so that um, Chad could work for the Ogden Standard Examiner, which was a newspaper. He got the nickname Chatterbox there. Chatterbox with D's instead of T's. His name's Chad. Because it was like an ironic nickname because he kept to himself and didn't really talk to anybody. Yeah, I feel like somebody named Jimmy came up with that. Yeah, stupid. Um, even though he was quiet, his coworkers thought highly of him. He was liked at work. Uh, Tammy started working as a school librarian slash tech person there. Um, you know, the early days of computer rooms and stuff in school. And she was very good at it. She really enjoyed it. Let me tell you about his second near-death experience. In May 1993, he was on a trip to San Diego to visit some family, went swimming with the family. Chad went out the farthest. Maybe he should stop being in water. (laughs) Um, He went out. He's not a good swimmer. And I heard a voice telling him to cling to the rocks. And as soon as he grabbed onto the rocks, a 15-foot wave crashed down on him, and he was pulled into the tunnel of light. (laughs) Yes. He saw Keith and Finity Daybell hovering above him. I don't remember who Finity was. I think Finity was just an old Daybell ancestor, like one of the early Daybell Mormons. Um, so he saw his grandfather and another ancestor hovering above him. Keith, his grandfather, his dead grandfather, told him about the children that he and Tammy would have and presented to him a spiritual mission. Basically a, do you accept this mission? Chad did, because he's not a quitter. Mm. When he woke up, he was surrounded by his father and brothers, who were afraid he was dead, and they took him to the hospital. He was okay, but his veil had been ripped open even wider. Oh my god. Yes, his power. It's just a gaping hole now. He should really sew that up. I don't like what you looked at me when you said it. (laughs) Nothing about it. Um, Moving ahead a year, March 1994, baby Emma was born. September 95, baby Seth was born, so they're, you know... Building their family. Just pumping out the kids. December of 95, they moved back to Springville. Um, 
and he took up work as a cemetery sexton. They a what? It, what? It's somebody who like runs stuff in the cemetery, like in charge of digging the graves and stuff. Why is it called sexton? I don't. I didn't make the word. <laughs> it's a like, thing. That sounds sexual. One of you Google it while I'm doing this, but no. then tell us about it later. <laughs> <laughs> you and I know. They um didn't have enough money to buy a house that they really wanted. They bought a double wide. It was very cramped with two of them and three young kids in there. Winter of 1997, there was a huge snowstorm, and so he headed to the cemetery. He had to dig paths to the grave sites. Um, and while he was there digging these paths, he heard his grandfather telling him that he should start writing books. And he said to his grandfather, that's great, but I have no idea what to write about. And the entire plot of his first book came to him. His first book was called Errand for Emma. Um, so he he wrote it out. He wrote out this whole book. And the manuscript was accepted by Cedar Fort Publishing, which was an LDS publisher. Um, at this time, Tammy is pregnant again. So he his book was published. Things are going well. April 1998, Tammy went into labor a month early, and things were a little bit scary for a while, but everything was okay. Baby Leo was born and did well. In 1999, he quit his job at the cemetery, and he became regional sales manager for a company called Access Computer Products, where he sold laser printer cartridges to schools and recycled old ones. So he would travel to schools and pitch, you know, for them to buy these printer cartridges. Uh, big salary increase for him with a nice 9-to-5 job. March 2000, baby Mark is born. Jeez. <laughs> he wrote two more books. So the first one was Aaron for Emma, and he ended up writing a trilogy. The next one was Doug's Dilemma, and the last one was Escape to Zion. How many kids does he have at this point? We're at four. No, no. We're five. at five, I think. Garth. Oh, I forgot Emma, about Garth. Emma, Garth, Seth. Emma, Seth, Leah, Leah Mark. Mark. Mm -hmm. But Emma's the only one who has a book named after her. Yeah. She's the favorite. Um, Doug's Dilemma and Escape Design got positive reviews. He didn't get a whole lot of money for them. You know, he didn't, like, blow up immediately. But he did go to book signings, and he enjoyed those. Uh, they made enough money from his books to finally be able to buy a house to get them and their five kids out of the double wide. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Late 2001, he and Tammy actually did a promotional tour for his books. And also in 2001, he was offered a job at the company that published his book, Cedar Fort Publishing. This was a $10,000 salary cut if he were to take mm -hmm. this job. So he talked to Tammy about it. She said... Well, you should see if your job will give you a counter offer before making any decisions here. So he asked his job, and they offered him a $20,000 increase. So if he were to stay with Access Computer Products, he would get $20,000 more. Yeah. If he were to leave this job and accept the one at Cedar Fort, he would lose $10,000. Yeah. That seems like a no-brainer. It does. However... Mm. His grandfather's voice oh, told boy. him that it was the wrong decision. Yeah, if I was Tammy, I'd be like, excuse me. Can well, I have an input? Well, he didn't discuss Who are him. you married to, bro? Stop talking to a ghost. His uh, yeah. grandfather told him he had two paths to choose from. And Grandpa of... doesn't have to support five kids. <laughs> one of these paths stays where he is, takes the increase in money, but, you know, did not align with his spiritual mission. And the other path leaves to go work for Cedar Fort. So he accepted the new job without discussing it with Tammy. It's like, it's like one path is, you know, wrong Financial and security. dumb and boring the other path is this one yeah which but you choose mm -hmm. you so, think you do what you think it's right yeah so other than the initial conversation when tammy said see if you get a counter offer he did not make 
he did not discuss with did her he his tell final her that decision. there was a counteroffer? Yeah. Oh, but okay. then he was like, surprise, I'm going to work for Cedar Four instead. Um, at this point, he was actually becoming a celebrity in the Mormon literary world. He was written about in different publishings. Um, in September a- 2001, he won the Cedar Fort Publishers House Award for the Emma Trilogy. But there's a conflict of interest here because Cedar Fort Publishers, they're the ones who published his book. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I don't know. I think that maybe they're a little biased, but that's not my business. Over the next few years, he wrote several books focusing on the end times and the second coming of Jesus. He and Tammy co-wrote a series for Mormon kids. And he would go around and do book signings at local bookstores. March of 2003, one of his books called Chasing Paradise was banned by the leading Mormon bookstore chain in the Western U.S., which is called Deseret Book, or Deseret Book is the chain. They said that the book was offensive. I want to give you the quote from the book that was offensive. In the book, a warrior angel quote, swoops in, plucks up a naughty spirit by the nape of the neck and drop kicks her through the wall. <laughs> oh, I love that. I feel almost as good about that as I do about his spirit getting stuck in his skull. Chad um, <laughs> accused this bookstore chain of censorship. A spokesperson for the chain said the real reason was weak sales of previous books. Mm. So, Ooh, could be, burn. could not be. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but anyway. His stuff he was writing was starting to be seen as a little bit... Too crazy? A little bit radical. And they were like, we're gonna just kind of nip this in the book. We're going into that extreme Mormonism, aren't we? Yeah. In May 2004, he actually opened his own publishing company called Spring Creek Book Company. Because, you Uh, know... Tammy was originally not thrilled with this decision, which he made without consulting her. Um, She prayed about it. I feel like he does that a lot. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be a pattern. Yes. I wonder uh, I wonder why they break up. Do they just, break up? I'm assuming to find out what happens with her. I'm assuming that they're, they're gonna divorce. Lisa is so salty right now. <laughs> you're gonna find out in part three. <gasps> no. Yeah, you're gonna have to wait till next week to find out more. I about feel like that was bitch. a punishment. Yeah. I mean keep cutting her off. Well I mean I'm not like rewriting my plans for you guys. It's in part three. So, Tammy I'm was sorry, not I need decision. to add some sarcasm to your story as you ramble. <laughs> Listen, it's a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, she prayed about the decision and decided, you know, she has to support her husband, so she will. He... Sorry, the first author that he signed to his company was an author he had actually previously brought to Cedar Fort Publishing. Um, she introduced him to a woman named Suzanne Freeman who he also signed on with Spring Creek Book Company. She spoke at LDS events about a near-death experience. Um, And we know how he feels about near-death experiences. Suzanne Freeman occasionally visited the Spring Creek warehouse and said Tammy was what kept things running there. So it wasn't just that he opened this company without discussing it with her. She was an integral part of it. She was, like, the secretary, but, like, the one who ran things. Yeah, I feel like, though, in the Mormon church... Um, the women are supposed to obey the yes. husband. Yes. So it's very much like... This would have been you? expected. I will follow. Yeah. Um, Freeman said that Chad would not have succeeded in his company without Tammy. Well, that's got to make you feel good. 
If you were Tammy. Yeah. I mean, I hope she told her. She's telling us now, but December 2005, his company won Outstanding Small Wholesaler of the Year by the LDS Booksellers Association. Um, while he's running his company, or Tammy's running his company, he is still writing a lot. One of the series that he wrote was based on his visions of the second coming, because he is having visions now. And his son, Seth, actually narrated his audiobooks, which I just kind of think is cool for an author's kid to narrate their audiobooks. Um, in 2008, however, Spring Creek went out of business and Chad and Tammy declared bankruptcy. Things were not going as well as Chad had presented them to be. When they closed the business, they owed over $200,000, and the company had only been making $2,000 a year. So they weren't doing great. Mm, yeah. Yeah. January 2009, he went back to cemetery work, and Tammy got a part-time job at an elementary school as a librarian and tech person again. She starts taking medication because she is depressed. Chad called this a mental breakdown. And he told her he had seen a vision of her as one of God's most beloved spirits. So kind oh of like God. he was saying, knock it off. <laughs> yeah. You don't have if, a reason to be depressed. If, if I, God loves you. If I were her, I would have been like, ha, huh, do you remember when like you were offered like 20 grand extra to stay where we were? Why didn't we yeah. stay there? These next couple bullet points I wrote above them, this is goofy. And it is. So Tammy starts playing Frontierville a lot. Remember Frontierville? Chad did not like this. He said that he went to the temple and received guidance that he needed to tell Tammy to quit cold turkey, but she wouldn't. She wanted to play Frontierville. So her dead grandmother gave Chad a message to pass on. Here it is in quotes. My descendants are letting Satan lull them to sleep with technology. Have Tammy quit her damn computer to game cold turkey. That was a quote from her dead grandma. We have all these quotes because Chad eventually writes his own autobiography, so we get a lot of stuff right from him. It's really nice that um, his, or I, well, nice and convenient that uh, her dead ancestor agreed so nicely with his yeah. point. Must be really convenient to be the only I, around. I get feel. Pass along. I feel like. Also, first of all, why does God care if she's playing a game? Like, fuck off. God doesn't. Dead grandma does. Okay. I feel like he made all of that bullshit up because she wasn't, like, cleaning or tending to the house or whatever they need to do. She had an interest that was outside of Mm. him and her family. Um, So now spring in 2012, so going ahead just a few years, Chad told Suzanne Freeman that he was leaving the book business because the call-out was coming. So the call-out is not mainstream Mormonism. It's the idea that before the end times, prophets will call the faithful to gather. Um, so the call out was coming. He and his family were going to be called to gather. Um, Freeman tried to warn him to tell him, you know, you're being a little dramatic. But he just told her to read his book. Everything is explained in his book. Now, he thought that the call out was going to happen in July of 2012. I don't know if you guys remember. Um a couple times the world was going to end. May. This was one of them. Yeah, wasn't it like 20... your birthday one year? Was it? I, like, that was when the Mayan calendar ended. Yeah. Uh, also, so... like, 1999, mm-hmm. December 31st. You know, so... it's all kind of blended together since COVID, too. Like, the amount of bullshit that, like, the world has gone through. It's, it's hard to keep track of how many times it was supposed to end. So, in spring of 2012... He felt the call-out was going to happen in July, so he had to 
quit work and prepare. Um, when nothing happened in July, Freeman wrote Chad a letter and said that he was on a dangerous path and he needed to quit it. 2013, he wanted to get back into writing since the call-out never happened. He relaunched his publishing company so that he could keep publishing his own books. 2014, he read online about a woman named Julia Rowe and her near-death experience. Um, he offered, he reached out to her, and he offered to publish her book that she wrote about it. He told her that they were fated to meet, and he had seen her in visions that he'd had. He talked her into writing a sequel to her book, and said that he gave her some of his books as inspiration. She described them as being very cheesy. Her sequel was about the second coming and outsold any of Chad's books. She agreed to stay on and write three more books for him for his publishing company. On in August 2014, while his family was on vacation to Idaho, he heard his grandfather telling him to move to Idaho. When he went back home, he went to the temple for guidance and was told that he needed to do it to fulfill his destiny. So in October, he quit his cemetery job. Uh, February, he had a vision that Rexburg, Idaho, was where the 144,000 would gather for the end times. So this idea of the end times, there, 144,000 is the number of faithful who would gather and need to like prepare for this. He had a vision that they would gather in Rexburg, Idaho. A few weeks later, he announced to the family during dinner that they're going to be moving to Rexburg. He did not discuss this with Tammy first. He doesn't need to. He's the man. Yes. Tammy was <laughs> big mad, complained to her sister about Chad making this decision without discussing it with her, but eventually decided she didn't really have a choice but to get on board, and she started looking at real estate out there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, this is a side note, kind of random, but I thought it was interesting. Chad went to high school with a guy named Scott Mitchell, who eventually played for the Dolphins. Yeah, and then he went, after he was done playing for the Dolphins, he eventually went on The Biggest Loser and lost 120 pounds. Oh, that's Good for nice. him. Yeah. Um, Chad sent him a Facebook messaging. Mm-mm. Chad sent him a Facebook message offering to publish his book on overcoming obesity. And um, Scott agreed. His book was published in April of 2015. They were doing a publicity tour. And in the middle of the tour, on the way to a signing, Chad told Scott that he was going to be moving and he couldn't help him anymore. And Scott was pretty pissed off. Uh, understandably so. Yeah. So now, um, June 2015, the family moves to their new home in Rexburg. This town is mostly Mormon. Um, Chad is working on a new novel at the campus library. It's uh, BYU, so it's Brigham Young University still. It's just they have an Idaho Rexburg campus. Tammy got an a job as an assistant librarian at a middle school. Chad got a sales job with Falls Printing Company, which would also print Spring Creek books. He started giving talks, and he his views were getting increasingly extreme. He was part of a large conference about near-death experiences. Julie Rowe was also at the conference. She was very in demand in the Mormon speaking circuit, and Chad was kind of... His demand was rising. He developed a following in the Rexburg area. He talked about multiple probations, which we heard Lori talk about before at a meeting, which is the, the idea that you keep reincarnating until you reach perfection. This idea is outlawed in Mormon church, so the higher-ups were not happy about this. He said that he had had 31 previous lives on distant planets. 
What? He started... Yeah. Don't worry about it. He started having small <laughs> gatherings in people's houses. Um, gathering more and more supporters. You could I, say that he was... says that, and I just pictured him showing up with people and be like, we're having a gathering here. <laughs> you could say that he's maybe building his cult following, is, is essentially what's happening here. You could argue, though. Yeah. Um, a Rexburg resident named Eric Smith attended some of these gatherings, said that everybody liked Chad. He had this goofy, friendly charm, um, was very easy to talk to about things that you weren't really supposed to talk about in the Mormon church. He said that Chad was more comfortable with women. He got lots of female attention at these meetings, these gatherings that he would have. He talked about his visions. They asked him a lot of questions. They seemed kind of, they they were a little fangirly with him. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the gatherings that Eric Smith went to, they actually were discussing polygamy. And according to Smith, they were discussing some yucky stuff that he was uncomfortable with. But Chad was just soaking up the attention from the women there. Uh, here's an example of the kind of influence that Chad had on people. So there's this woman named Angela Stone. She was a mother of three. She and her husband and her kids moved to Rexburg in 2015. She got a job at an accounting firm, and her boss told her about Chad Daybell, offered to get her tickets to this um, Preparing People conference that he was going to be speaking at. She said that Chad made Rexburg into a city of light and salvation. Chad would visit her boss sometimes. Um, so she would talk to him when he would show up at her job, and they always ended up talking about the end times. She and her husband got involved in Chad's, like, following, and they ended up spending $20,000 in preparations for the end times, all based on information from Chad and stuff that he told them to do. Uh, another side note, shortly after the Daybells moved to Rexburg, the owners of Preparing a People also moved there. They followed Chad there. They knew him from Springville. Their names were Nancy and Michael James. And they said that Chad was one of their favorite people. So they, the owners of this group, followed Chad to Rexburg because they believed what he said, this is where the faithful are going to gather during the end times. In May 2017, he published his autobiography, which was dedicated to his wife. And it essentially was just his blog posts written out in a book. Um, when he moved to Rexburg, he started a blog. He wrote in it for about five weeks before he abandoned it, and then he just took all those posts and turned them into his autobiography. Uh, July 2017, Preparing a People held a conference at the Rexburg Tabernacle. Chad and Julie Rowe were both key speakers. It was so successful that they scheduled a second one in Utah in September. At this time, he and Nancy James, who is one of the owners of Preparing People, started a podcast called Rexburg, Idaho, The Promised Land. After the first Preparing a People conference, Julie visited the Daybells, and she sensed tension between Chad and Tammy. I wonder she why. asked him about it, and he said that Tammy had stopped taking her antidepressants. And he told Julie that he was having, he was very open with her, told her that he was having an emotional affair with a fan named Natalie that he had met online. Shocking! He told, yeah. He told Natalie that they had been married in another life. Oh my Julie god. Julie told him that he was being unfaithful to Tammy by doing this. Yep. He told her he had oh a gosh. vision of Tammy dying in a car accident in a snowstorm. <laughs> yeah. Around this time, Chad, of the year. 
Huh? Husband, I said husband of the year right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Around this time, Chad starts determining if people are light spirits or dark spirits. One day when he was at the temple, he found an old owl necklace on a pew. Remember, he's obsessed with owls. So obviously this was a gift from God. Mm-hmm. He would... <laughs> Sorry. Okay. He would do kind of like a parlor trick where he would hold up this owl necklace and let it swing, and he would ask it questions. And if it swung right to left, the answer was yes. If it swung in a circle, the answer was no. So this was just like this little, you know, fun thing that he did at first. But then he would start, he would research people, their background, and then visit them and use the owl to reveal stuff about them that he shouldn't have known. And by doing this, he increased his following because people thought that he had this insight he could see beyond the veil and all of that. Lacey, can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, did researching all of this and learning more about Chad, like, piss you off? Because he's really fucking annoying me. Yeah. Okay. It gets I, wild. Like, I've had enough with the stupid fucking visions, and I'm sorry if any Mormons are <laughs> listening to us, but I doubt you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, um. oh my god, I'm so sick of him. <laughs> And it's wild to me. Well, I mean, anytime you read about, like, a cult, because this is what it is. He's building a cult. Yeah, anytime no, you read I about see those, that. You're always like, how is somebody able to convince all these people to, like, follow them and believe all this stuff? But it's always these, like, real charismatic guys. And I think people are just too easily led sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, side note, what what mm-hmm. kind of life is it if all you're doing is talking about the end times? Like, how is that entertaining? Why are you spending your time like that? Like, I'm so... I I don't get it. He's getting these people to spend money on this stuff. Oh, (laughs) yeah. These people are crazy. Oh, God. All right, continue. uh, He starts making lists here of which celebrities are light or dark celebrities. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Julie Rowe did not like this. She didn't like the light and dark spirit thing. She didn't like the owl trick. Um, She told him, I don't like this. You need to stop. You know, you're... You're not doing the right thing here. And he started and he started distancing himself from her. And who's Julie again? She was um, another author, another Mormon author who had a near-death experience. And so obviously had oh, to write about it. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Who was, who's the girl that he does the podcast with? That was Nancy. She is one of the owners of Preparing a People. Which, that bravo. Group, that group that's dedicated to preparing for the end times. Which, bravo for you for not stumbling over that, since you say it so often. I don't, preparing I the going, people. They call it PAP, but I can't say it. I, can't, I wouldn't want to say it either. Yeah, it does sound like PAP swear. Yeah. Um, so, fall 2017, Chad meets a woman named Melanie Gibb. He meets her at a preparedness camp in Utah, where he was a speaker. They had very similar views about the end times and about the second coming, and she invited him to speak in Mesa, Arizona. A few months later, he introduced her to preparing the people, and they actually made her their Arizona representative. She then started a preparing people podcast in February of 2018. In July 2018, she helps organize the first Arizona preparing a people conference where Chad would be a speaker. He, you know, mini side note, he had recently been fired from Falls Printing Company because of his increasingly radical views. I mean, why does he need that job when he's getting, like, 20 grand from other people, so... Yeah. 
Um, when he flew in to Arizona for this conference, she picked him up at the airport. They went to dinner. At dinner, he used the owl, did his good old parlor trick, and asked it questions about Melanie. Which, you know, she fully bought into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after the conference was over, he asked her if she would write a book about her experiences and her views of the end times. And in October 2018, Chad Daybill was a guest speaker at a Preparing a People conference in St. George, Utah, which Melanie had already invited her new friend Lori to. So this conference Ooh. is where our tornado is going to take off. And that's where I'm going to leave you guys. That was a great sentence. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, next week, I'll tell you about what happens when Lori and Chad finally come together. What did we say? call it? A twisted tornado or something? Or... Something. I think you said toxic tornado. Oh, that's what I said. You said I tornado know. of insanity. I know. It, it's, I know I wrote it know. down. The wind has been blowing, but once they get together, it's going to really pick up. Oh, no. We can really draw out this metaphor. Yeah. Toxic cool. tornado. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to, um, I want to, I feel like that should be a staple for every time, like, two killers, like, meet and then, beca- and then like, go bring out the worst in each other? Yeah. Toxic yeah. tornado. It's totally a toxic tornado. Yeah. Cool. That's all I've got for you guys, but Drew, Drew's in the other room right now, so. I mean, I'm enjoying staring at Tegan right now. Oh, Tegan. T. She's asleep. Ooh, those are the ears. They perked. Don't um, worry, Drew. Our toxic tornado is going to be a uh, I, I heard hitting the ground soon. <laughs> Ooh, the toxic tornado will be touched down soon. <gasps> We've got a funnel cloud forming. A funnel cloud. That's tornadoes, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. It's for Lacey. So I think last week we said that was kind of sinister. Yeah. Uh, have we really gotten? I, I don't think it was super I, sinister this week either. It's really I just all the groundwork. It's yeah, showing it was everything building. I I think it was, if anything, less sinister because nobody got assaulted. Yeah, nobody, or abused. Nobody died this week. Oh, so Joe Ryan died. Well, your experience. There was some near death. Didn't experience. somebody die in the today? Oh, in the very beginning. Yeah, um, his buddy. Yeah, a, a classmate died when he was in third grade. Um, Tammy was like kind of like abused. He told her to pretty much suck up her depression. So, so emotional abuse. Okay. Yeah. So that's um, kind of sinister. And he made her quit Frontierville. So that was oh, that. That's a <laughs> he's so that was kind of sinister. We were that super was a, sarcastic. That was a lot annoying. <laughs> I was not having fun with Chad. I can't wait. Uh, to, I can't wait to tell you guys. You were Drew. You stepped away for a moment, but I stopped Lacey, and I was like, "Did you like want to?" punch chad when you were reading about him a little bit was the answer yes <laughs> okay and i was like can he ki- cool it with the damn visions no one cares i think some people did yeah some people were really bought into it so that was sinister we and were- we were sarcastic <laughs> we hope you keep listening <laughs> <laughs>